welcome everyone to yet another episode of Why Wasn't It Better. I am your host, Patrick Darms. And I am your co-host, Anton Paras. And we are back with another guest, Pete Baldeo. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back, Pete. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm excited. I know today's genre is right up my alley. Looks like Hannibal is on deck today. That's right. Oh, what genre of movie is Hannibal? Because I'm confused. Mm, Fair question. You know, I think it's a hybrid between a psychological thriller, part comedy, and horror. But it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's still figuring itself out. Part comedy. I'm glad you mentioned that. Part comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Unintended comedy, I guess, maybe better. Or maybe on purpose? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, on purpose, accidental, both. All of the above, none of the above. Yes, of course. Uh, Peter, I think this is your, technically, this is your second appearance on the podcast, but it is your third recording, right? Yes. Yes. I think. We're yes. intending this episode to come out before the one we recorded the other day. Got it. Okay. Yes. This will be my second time on the podcast. Yes, probably should have explained that before we started recording, but whatever, <laughs> okay. you know? That's all right. You know, that's all right. It's, it's, listen, a good business model is you have content queued up and you release it when the fans want it. So I respect it. I do. So this, yes, to the fans out there, this will be my second podcast. Excellent. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Some admin before we get into this. Um, to all of our YouTube listeners and followers, thank you very much. We are growing there at a rapid pace and it's been wonderful. The comments that we've received, the likes, we appreciate it. And now let's talk about Hannibal. We're, of course, referring not to the TV series, which came out a few years ago, starring Mads Mikkelsen. We're talking about the 2001 film directed by Ridley Scott and starring Sir Anthony Hopkins. A sequel to the 1991 film, The Silence of the Lambs, the plot follows disgraced FBI special agent Clarice Starling as she attempts to apprehend cannibalistic serial killer Dr. Hannibal Lecter before one of his surviving victims, Mason Verger, captures him. Released on February 9, 2001 by Universal Pictures, the Dino De Laurinaitis Company and Scott Free Productions. Directed by Ridley Scott. Screenplay by David Marnett and Steven Zalian. Based on the novel by Thomas Harris. Starring Anthony Hopkins, Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, Ray Liotta, Giancarlo Giannini, and Frankie R. Faison, with a budget at $87 million, so $150 million adjusted for inflation, and a box office at $351 million, so $606 million adjusted for inflation. Well, why was this movie chosen? This was, of course, the long-awaited sequel to one of the greatest movies ever made. I think most people would agree with that. Silence of the Lambs is a classic and then some, right? Classic. Agreed. A lot of people were excited for this, particularly because they were able to get Anthony Hopkins back in the role of Dr. Hannibal Lecter. But they couldn't get Jodie Foster back. But Julianne Moore is certainly no slouch. She's one of the greatest actors of her generation. She's got, I think she's got some award wins. You know, she's got the recognition. And of course, Ridley Scott was the director. His stock would have never been higher. This was the first movie that he released coming off of Gladiator, which had released the the summer before this. That wins Best Picture. He doesn't win Best Director, curiously, but that's generally considered the most financially successful film of his career. You could say Alien and Blade Runner are maybe artistically more successful, but Gladiator was huge. There was an insane amount of hype for this movie, Hannibal. I was happy to hear that Hopkins was back because by this point I was probably, yeah, I was 13 years old, yeah, but I had seen 
the silence of the lambs at this point. So I was aware and excited for this. And of course, you know, I was excited about Ridley Scott. Peter, why did you want to be on this episode? What did, what stood out to you about Hannibal? I think this, I like the flashbacks, man. I remember being young and seeing previews on TV. Like we had to be, yeah, I think you were right. We had to be, you're what, a few years older than me? So I had to be 12 years old. I remember seeing the previews on TV. It was like Hannibal. And like, at first I didn't really know what it was until I saw Silence of the Lambs. And I remember asking my dad and he's like, it's supposed to be the scariest movie ever. And like some guys eating brains. And I was like, oh, this is some hardcore stuff. Like, all right, I'm in. So like, I think it was a lot of the hype around it. And like, I kind of hopped in on the hype train later because I didn't really know what it was until the sequel was coming. And then it's a horror movie, man. I, you know, I love horror movies. Is it a horror movie? It's still confused, but it's still trying to find its way. But you no, know, it wanted to be a horror movie. It did. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Uh, have either of you read the novel? I have not. I have. Okay. I have, and it's uh, definitely follows a bit. I'd say maybe a grittier story. <laughs> if one could even, if one could even imagine the film being even grittier. Uh, that's that. It's a very. I think you're being extremely generous. Yeah, um, I'll be a little harsher than you. The novel is one of the most revolting pieces of shit I've ever wasted my time reading. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty gross, and also it, just it like is stupid. Pete, it's if you gore? think if you yes, if you think yes. that this movie is disgusting, the novel blows it away. Wow, that, okay. that's all I'll say. Wow, that's all right. That's tough. That's like there's Eli Roth in, level. There's like stuff Hostel in the level. novel I am not even comfortable talking about on this podcast. Like that's how disgusting it is. Yeah, wow. it's a uh, some very disgusting ends for some of the characters and very confusing ending to the novel that didn't make it into the film. But I guess some things that we'll we'll touch on. Yeah, I got some good notes about characters ending. Let's just say <laughs> we'll save that for later in the discussion. We sure can. When I read the novel, I actually read it after this came out, but I had like heard about the novel. I'm like, I don't. How would they film that? And I mean, they didn't. They made some you know significant changes, but I mean, this movie made plenty of money at the box office. But no, I would say nobody loves this movie, unlike no. the first film. And this this was completely ignored come award season. Silence of the Lambs famously won. All of the like major yep. categories at the Academy Awards, picture, director, screenwriting, and the two acting leads, which um, very few films have achieved that. Yeah, also shouts out, I think Anthony Hopkins only had about, what, five minutes of screen time, something like that? It's probably part of his contract. He didn't yeah, want to be seen. In the first film, it's probably, it might, yeah, it's not much. He's not in the film much. But this one, front and center. <laughs> oh, he's, uh, yes, he's, um, he's the star of the show here, this... Um, horror opera comedy thing that they tried to pass off as a movie i figured not to spoil my opinion or anything dark comedy (laughs) that's what you can describe it as it could be (laughs) oh man anton we should probably get to the production history of this i mean before we get to i have to to step out for a second um yeah take over yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, so before we get into the production history, we do have a special guest appearance, a friend of the show, uh, none other than uh, Buffalo Bill. Uh, you, some of you may remember this famous serial killer. Uh, Bill, uh, hey. love having you on the show. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Oh, you know, I think uh, our listeners would love to know why weren't you in this film? Why were you not in Hannibal? First of all, uh, who's Bill? Uh, my name's Jack Gordon. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Who's Bill? 
Fair, fair. That is just it, it's your it's a famous name that you went by. So I mean, we we, we the listeners will recognize you by that, but we, we love having you. Oh, on. oh yeah, I remember. I I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they we'll actually, they they uh, they use that name. I never referred to myself as that though. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> the police didn't seem to have a clue. <laughs> any <laughs> any any thoughts you want to share with the listeners before we start diving into the Hannibal? Well, oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I just want to say I'm a I'm a huge listener, big, big, big fan of your podcast. Oh, thank you. Oh, you, you, you grace us with your presence. Thank you. Well, you know, I've got plenty of uh, free time down here. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, um, you know what? We'll make sure to give you a gift basket with plenty of lotion uh, for just as oh. a big thank you for being on the show. Oh, good, good. Thank you. Oh man, Pat! Pat is gonna be so bummed he wasn't able to make it for uh, for this. But uh, you know, it is just a treat having you on. It's gonna be very oh, sad he missed this. It's an absolute, it's an absolute pleasure. You know, it really is. All right. Well, uh, any any uh, do you want to do any shout outs uh, before we go into the production history? And I think Pat's gonna be back soon. Yeah, I just want to say I'm not a fan of this movie at all. Look, I like Ridley Scott. I'm a big fan of Black Rain, and I was offended <laughs> when he didn't even call me ask if i could be in it fortunately he made up for it later by casting me an american gangster <laughs> fair enough <laughs> well you know thank you uh i think the listeners are going to remember this as one of the great all-time moments on uh why wasn't it better so uh, i really hope so and just one more thing anton uh, yes i would have been a far superior bad guy just think about it i'm iconic i've been in memes who the hell is Machen Verger anyway? Sure, he's ugly, but come on. Who's afraid of a guy in a wheelchair? Well, I'll tell you, um, the the feral pigs aren't. I'll tell you that. Um, but yeah, those, you know, those Italians, they were incompetent, too. One of them was a great <laughs> big fat person. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We, we yep, appreciate it. I, uh, I got to go. They need me back downstairs. Right. You're, I'm sure you have a lot of busy things to attend to that I won't ask about because I don't want to know. <laughs> well, you can ask. Sure, I'm, you can I'm, use my phone. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to be haunted. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Ah, oh, great hey friend guys, of the I'm, show. I'm back. Oh, you would. Hey, dude, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, Buffalo Bill was just on the show. Whoa, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was great. We had yeah. a. I think like our the, our his agent pulled through, got him on the show, got him out of his hole. Damn, I missed that. Oh. Yeah. Hey, next time. Disappointing. Next time. Tom yeah. didn't tell you is he's terminating your contract now higher he's got he, he's got a thick skin so appreciate that um i guess he does yeah i, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know but um <laughs> right. we were going to talk about the production history right yes we were uh why don't we jump right ahead pat do you want to uh lead us off yeah so uh, the film rights to the lector character were actually originally owned by producer couple dino and martha de Laurentiis. after producing the technically the first lector film Man manhunter in 1986, they allowed Orion Pictures to produce Silence of the Lambs without their involvement. When the Silence of the Lambs became a massive success, the couple became uh, eager for a new novel that they could adapt, so they kept bugging Thomas Harris to work on the novel. And when he finally republished the novel in 1999, De Laurentiis quickly purchased the rights for a then-record $10 million. Put a pin in this because I want to come back to this. Specifically, the failure to realize something critical about Silence of the Lambs versus its sequel. Now, Jonathan Demme, who of course directed The Silence of the Lambs and won an Oscar for it, he refused the offer to direct this as he found the material, quote, too lurid and too gory, end quote. 
And in a 2010 biography documentary, Inside Look, The Silence of the Lambs, Jonathan Demme expanded on his reason for passing on Hannibal, saying, quote, Thomas Harris, as unpredictable as ever, took Clarice and Dr. Lecter's relationship in a direction that just didn't compute for me. And Clarice is drugged up and she's eating brains with him. And I thought, I just can't do this, end quote. So when De Laurentiis offered the job to Ridley Scott, who was still in the middle of filming Gladiator, Scott initially thought that he was referring to Hannibal, the Carthaginian general. You lie. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, that's what the research says. I, th- I thought the this ultimate bait and switch. I mean, to be fair, I thought this film was about Hannibal Burris, but. <laughs> How he exposed Bill Cosby. <laughs> yes, <great>. he did. <laughs> I guess that would make a good movie, actually. Somebody's going to make it now, because they heard it here first. Sundance 2024, here we come. (laughs) Uh, Ridley Scott had reservations about the ending of the novel, no shit, in which Lecter and (laughs) Starling become lovers, and he also did not find the book believable after the opera scene, which he said, quote, it became like a vampire movie, end quote. Due to his doubts, Thomas Harris gave Ridley Scott permission to change the ending, thank goodness. Ted Talley, who wrote the script for Silence of the Lambs, he also declined to be involved. Like Demi, he had problems with the novel's excesses. So, playwright David Mamet ended up writing the first draft of the screenplay, which ended up being significantly reworked by Anton, our guy, Steve Zalian. Hey, Steve Zalian. Yeah, although almost none of Mamet's original script makes it into the final movie, but he still received a writing credit regardless. Yeah, Anton, so Zalian, he co-wrote Gangs in New York, American Gangster, and Mission Impossible. So he's becoming a regular uh, name in the movies that we're covering. That's, I mean, I love seeing the connections to the extended movie universe just because we see a lot of fun names pop up over and over. So yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not surprised anymore. No, no. I mean, it's, I guess it's like one of those things where it's a smaller industry than you'd think. Right, right. Like, oh, you you need a go-to guy to rework something? Yeah. Hey, Steven Zalian's the guy. He's even directed some films that we're actually going to cover, believe it or not. Uh, I I believe it. When it comes to the acting, it was initially unclear if Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins would reprise their roles. The studio believed they could not only do without one of the original two stars and they were willing to find a replacement for the other one if necessary if both foster and hopkins had not returned the project would have been canceled de laurentis confirmed this after the film's release stating quote first and foremost i knew we had no movie without anthony hopkins end quote hopkins would end up being paid 15 million dollars to reprise his role that is in 2001 money too pete so pretty good for sir anthony crap yeah i guess i would have done it too of course I wasn't able to confirm what they offered Jodie Foster. She had previously expressed interest in doing a sequel, but De Laurentiis thought she would decline once she read the book, which, she, of course, she did. Uh, I can't so, blame her. It was a wise decision on her part. Yeah, I, I did see some, uh, or I, I did read that there was enough negotiation that the ending did change based on Jodie Foster's resistance to how, the, how it ended in the book versus in the film. Oh. Um, so it, the they actually did change it because of that but she still ended up leaving so hey you got that at least did they say what they changed it was definitely the romance aspect and how much more on okay. the nose it was in the novel versus in the film yeah pete they uh, they end up hooking up in the novel so i actually read that i read that after like i made notes on like the book so i read i read the wikipedia of the book and like i was okay. reading the story and i was like this is weird 
Disgusting. Yeah, it was real weird. Disgusting. <laughs> Super it's weird. Unfilmable. I mean, they were they were at least wise enough to realize that some of this was unfilmable. Yeah, I would hope so. I, honestly, I don't even know how a studio would approve that. Like, if you're Universal at that point, you're just like, we're not releasing this movie. Yeah, like, you belong on Pornhub. That's that's, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Foster said in an, in a December 1999 interview, so this is you know, well before the movie, that the characterization of Starling in the novel had, uh, quote, negative attributes, end quote, and it betrayed the original character, bingo. Yep. Anthony Hopkins, he had a strong say in who would take over the role of Clarice, and the studio considered the following actresses Kate Blanchett, Gillian Anderson, Angelina Jolie, Hillary Swank, Helen Hunt, and Ashley Judd. And they obviously they finally decided on Julianne Moore, who earned two million dollars for her work here. Gillian Anderson wouldn't have been bad, but she wasn't gonna take this dog this heaping dog of crap. Angelina Jolie would have been weird. Yeah. Would have been weird. Hillary um, Swank. I could, Hillary I think Swank I can, passed. Hillary Swank was young then. That's, in, that's an interesting... Oh, I guess you're right, because I'm thinking about it. Uh, yeah. Helen Hunt... Helen Hunt would have Actually, been a worse movie. Actually, could have probably done it, too. Can I just say Helen Hunt, worst actress to win an Oscar? She's a TV actress. Not, yeah, the, not, not the best. Oh, I just saw an older movie with her, and it was, like, terrible. And I was like, this is how you know she's on the decline in her career. It is wild that she actually won an Academy Award. Like, she's a TV actress. Doesn't belong in movies. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, lady? Yeah, it's like like her best acting performance is like Twister. It's like that kind of says a lot. Ninety five. Let's go. <laughs> a great um, movie. Back to Hannibal. Um, Anthony Hopkins said this about the book. Quote, I was kind of surprised by this book. I thought it was really overreaching and so bizarre. So I couldn't make up my mind about it all. Some of it I found intriguing. Some I was a little doubtful about. End quote. But then I took it because they offered me $15 million. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's, like, he's uh, like, in the end, Clarice, the decision was easy. <laughs> well, I had to think to myself, would I take the $15 million? Why, yes, I would. Yeah. What do you I mean, have on said, top of that? <laughs> he said yes to doing Thor. He said yes to this. He says yes to a lot of films where I'm like, that was a cash grab. I, I'm not holding it against him. If yeah, someone's yeah, no, throwing no. that Res- money around yeah, me, respect. like, of course, exactly. of course I'm doing it. Right? If, yeah. Listen, if, I'm, yeah. if it's my turn... And I'm getting the rolls this year. I'm going to take it. Good for you. Yep. Uh, f- fun fact, just uh, on the theme of Anthony Hopkins. Did you know that he is an established composer? Oh, I, I did. Know that. I did know that. Yeah, his. Uh, I'll I'll send the link out later. But um, you know, I love there. There's a famous uh, YouTube clip that went viral because they were playing one of his works, and it's actually really good. Yeah. Oh, huh. oh, I didn't know that. Interesting guy. I mean, he's a sir. Like, right? How many people do you know that are knights? Personally, none. Yeah, I know zero knights, and I also only know <laughs> no. one celebrity knight, and I think we all know the same celebrity knight. Um, it's worth pointing out that uh, a bunch of the uh, technical crew from Gladiator worked on this. Hans Zimmer, uh, mm-hmm. cinematographer John Matheson, editor Pietro Scalia, they all worked on Gladiator. Basically, the filming schedule of this movie they walked off the set of Gladiator and just right onto this one. Not much of a break there for Ridley Scott. I mean, say what you want about Ridley Scott, and I have, you know, kind of on and off with his films, but, like, he's a workhorse. He never stops working. He's grinding. He's not a young guy. I think I think he's almost 80. No. Really? He's past 80. He's almost 85 years old, and, like, you know, during the pandemic, he releases two movies in the same year. It's like, he, he's just not slowing down. So, respect. Nope. Huge respect. He's 85. Yeah, I think I believe he was born in 1937. He's pretty old. 
Spot on. Wow. Good for you, Ridley Scott. Okay. Yeah, he's he's just I you you can't ever knock a director who just like consistently puts out work like that. Pretty diverse movies. He's always trying something new. Hmm. So I guess I never really thought of it. You're right though. Shout out to uh, the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. That is the uh, estate for Mason Verger in this film. If you ever make it down here to North Carolina, you should check it out. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's it is 175,000 square feet, 250 rooms. It is the largest privately owned residence in the United States. Wow! Wow! That that's amazing. That sounds like it fit a lot of Mustangs in the in the parking lot. <laughs> is that a Mustang out there? <laughs> How'd you hear that? A 5.0 liter? Uh, I, I used to drive one of them when I could move. <laughs> uh, Wait, can so we the, talk about the fact that they elected that? Like, that was Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Last, <laughs> oh, this was in the middle of Gary Oldman's career where he was playing the most bonkers roles. What? Like, do you remember him in The Fifth Element? It's just, it's, it's insane. <laughs> it, was, it's very it was an interesting transition point in his career. Uh, like I, I love him. It's the roles that guy plays. I wanted to bring this up because I find it suspicious. The $87 million budget. Um, other than the two, the, the salaries for the leads, I, I'm having a tough time finding out where the remaining $70 million went. Uh, went into many pockets, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Prosthetic makeup. Corn syrup. That looks like blood. $8 million. <laughs> a lot of corn syrup. $8 million. Um, I just want to give you guys some perspective on this. Gladiator had a budget of $100 million. And it makes sense. Like, that right. makes sense yeah. to me. Uh, exactly. All the CGI and the sets and all the action stuff. Um, here's some even more notable perspective. Silence of the Lambs cost $19 million compared to this. Wow. Yeah. And they still made 606? Yeah. It made a ton. 606 adjusted for inflation. It made yeah. a ton of money. I mean, a lot of hype. Yeah. When we talk about those kinds of things. A lot of hype, especially when you yeah, attach you all these things. you think about when it was released, too, February. That's like traditionally, you know, not a blockbuster month, although that may be different now. But back then, like this is like a pretty high profile movie for that like time of the year. But uh, critics didn't love it and they didn't even like it. 39% Rotten Tomato <laughs> score. Not very good at all. Bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And again, like I pointed out earlier, it, it was completely ignored by the awards. Didn't wasn't nominated for anything. We're not even gonna pay attention to this movie. Yeah, I mean, if if I was the studio head and I saw this, like the, the rough cut of it, I'd be like, take it away. Did <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> approve this? Time to talk about why Hannibal wasn't better. Yes, oh, yeah. this is what I'm here for. Number one reason is the storytelling. I already pointed out my disdain for the book. I mean, this is an adaptation of what I consider terrible source material to begin with. So right off the bat, it's like building a house on a foundation of sand. Mm, I think fair. it says quite a lot in terms of the red flag category that Jodie Foster, Jonathan Demi, and screenwriter Ted Talley all passed on participating in this. Very intelligent decision on their part. Yeah, they single-handedly saved their careers. It's weird because even the people that worked on this movie, they all expressed doubts about it beforehand. Of all the research we've been doing, Anton, for these movies so far, I haven't mm -hmm. found anything like that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think we can go back to even looking at the source material really as like, as like you know, the, the key you know, thing to point at as to really that, uh, I'd say, caution of a lot of folks attached to maybe not wanting to do the film. Because also when you look at the timeline, um, when Silence of the Lambs was originally released, the book had been out for, you know, for quite a few years. 
it wasn't until after the success of the film that the book was even what that Hannibal, the novel was even written. And I mean, we read, you, you read the book. It is like night and day compared to the, to silence of the lambs. They're not very similar books at all. And this reminds me of the discussion we, we had with Eric about the lost world. I think mm-hmm. the same exact thing happened here. We're just like with Michael Crichton and the sequel to Jurassic Park. I doubt Thomas Harris would have ever written this if the, if the movie Silence of the Lambs hadn't been such a success. I agree with that yeah, a million percent. I think that's fair. Because there's no yeah. reason to continue Silence of the Lambs. No. It, oh, it was done. No, no. You could have wrapped it up, called it a day, and everyone could have went home. It would have been noted. The, like Hannibal had no reason to be made except for money. And again, I get it. I understand it. This is something I want to bring up, and this is ultimately my biggest problem with both this book and this movie. This movie completely fails because of the simple fact that most people do not understand what made the first movie so amazing. The Silence of the Lambs is not a serial killer movie. Hannibal Lecter is not the main character. The movie is not about him at all. The story is so compelling because it is about Clarice's struggle to overcome her childhood fears. That story is completed by the end of the movie. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. Nothing about that story merited a sequel. Well said. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. I always see the the first one categorized as a serial killer movie, and if you really think about it, it's not. About childhood trauma. Right. You're right. And then they just threw in a serial killer in there just because it was cool. And based on that... I think it's a misnomer to call Hannibal a sequel. It's not a continuation of the story told in Silence of the Lambs in any way. This is more of a spinoff. Like, Anton, remember we were talking with Tyler on the U.S. Marshals episode about, like, a sequel Mm -hmm. versus a spinoff and how they can be the same thing, but they're not? This is just, I never think of this as a sequel to Silence of the Lambs. No, that's a a really fair statement. That's fair. Yeah, it is. It's It's just considered, like, it's better viewed as an anthology as opposed to, like, a connected, I think I'm using the right word there. Yeah. Like all of the movies are not connected in the same universe. They just have one character that's like, okay, we're kind of going to use this. This IP. You could have taken Hannibal's story any way you want it, right? It's like if you want to tell the story of Hannibal Lecter, you don't need to have Clarice Starling in it. You could have him in Florence, doing his thing, running around, eating people, yada yada yada, and she doesn't even need to be in the movie. It could have been any FBI agent. The fact that they had a history, and one of the things that annoyed me about this film is they keep calling back to all of the. Uh, recordings of Clarice and Lecter from the first film. It's like, can you stop reminding me of this better movie? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even when you think about at the core, right? Like you said, you make that point that there is no understanding of what made the first film so good. And that was clearly shown in how bad Hannibal was. I, if, if when watching through Hannibal, I am not even sure if there's like a real, lesson to be learned or real themes to really pull from the film it's just very hollow it almost seems like it's just a a very badly written story of cat and mouse and then just throwing in some famous characters there's nothing really deep to be to be brought on from the film what i didn't get is why didn't they just make the decision to use hannibal as a character and tell their own original story like they did with the show yeah exactly no idea it, it it's a it's a really good question, Peter, because like they knew the book was bullshit. Yeah, like if you if you knew the source material is bad and everyone hated it in the first place, right? Why make a movie about something that everyone hated? And this happens plenty of times, right? We we see this all the time with movies that are adapted from books. They they will often change many things, and they had to change many things here, but they still kept some really weird, dark 
questionable stuff in, in their <laughs> adaptation of this. I mean, it, we all know strange. why they do it. No. The money. Yeah, I mean, but you're, Anton, I, I like that word you used, hollow. Because yeah. this really is. That's what it feels uh, like. Silence of the Lambs is this fascinating, probably the best psychological thriller movie ever made, I would say. Even the title is incredibly clever, The Silence of the Lambs. It's, it, the title is literally her overcoming her fears. Yeah. Right. So, like, storytelling, right, being, like, a key reason when, we, when comparing the films and why Hannibal wasn't better. One aspect, for example, that you can see is, like, parallels in the film, being a woman in, like, a male-dominated society. How was that told in Silence of the Lambs, if we, if we remember um, how, like, the different scenes how was it told? So yeah, how was it told? I guess it was like a female officer making a mistake, and then all of the men in power in her life made decisions to kind of. I guess because Ray Liotta was like her superior at one point, and then it turns out he was corrupted to just direct her back to like Hannibal's grasp. It feels like she was just manipulated the entire. Time, I guess is the best way to put it. Wait, was well, was Ray Liotta her boss? I, I remember. Was he? I thought he was like the State Department official or something. I, I'm not I wasn't clear of like what his role was. Right. He said he worked for the Justice Department, but like what does that mean? Right. And if anything, he, well, it was very clear Ray Liotta was a jerk. But I think cartoonishly. E- even well, even his character, if the point was like, you know, this is what it's like being a female in like a male dominated society, like being in the FBI, um, in the first film, right? It's just there's lots of shots of her amongst like the tall men like at the academy. Oh yeah, um, they ha- they address it head on in the first film. Yeah, but it's very subtle. It's not just like it's not just Ray Liotta shouting at her like I know I can just cross your name off a list. Like it's very it's much right. more subtle. So you're really getting a better, more digestible story told of like it's her against like going against the grain. No, you're right. There's no cartoonishly chauvinistic Ray Liotta hitting on her. Yeah, you're right. It is, it is much more subtle in the first film. Uh, I feel like. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I think this part. I don't. I think you could have told that movie without. You could have wrote the entire movie without Ray Liotta. And I feel like only reason he was <laughs> no, in the movie was just to get his brains eat. Which don't get me wrong, it's awesome. Yeah, that's it's impossible. You had to include him. How are you going to include that scene? Who's <laughs> who else? <laughs> who else? Who else? But like, okay. So again, right? I would love to know. So part of your $86 million, we still haven't talked about how much Ray Liotta got paid. Because, like, wasn't this around the time when he was doing Casino? Like, this guy was dropping huge movies. He wasn't movies. in Casino. He was not Casino. Uh, he was in Goodfellas a Goodfellas. while before this. 1990. Yeah. What was the movie he did? 2001. Hold on. Hold on. I remember him in Copland. Maybe this was. Maybe I'm confusing the time. Casino should have been two films. Blow. Blow. Blow is 2001. Oh, okay. And then he did like, I think he was doing John Q, and then he did Identity, which I think was an awesome psychological thriller. So he was Ooh, he was doing yeah. decent movies at this point. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, and then in 2002, he did the voice for Tommy Versetti in Vice City. Iconic. Good, good call out. Iconic. Right? Yeah. So he didn't have to take these movies. So part of that 86 was probably paying Lady o- Ray Liotta to be like, hey, we're going to pay you to just get your brains eaten. You're going to have no other acting relevance. Whatever he was paid, it was too much. <laughs> okay. So we've now accounted for 12, another 12 of the 86. Well, we already, we already explained it was $8 million in corn syrup. Yeah. We have 15 for Anthony Hopkins. So we're at 23. Um, some, some um, 
steroid enhanced pigs. Yep. And then the Mustang. <laughs> we had to get the Mustang in there. Yeah, but that Mustang was beat up. Yes. That was that was like five hundred bucks. <laughs> oh man. I guess they probably spent a lot of money on the Michael Bay style shootout at the fish market. The first twenty minutes of the movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever the heck that movie was. <laughs> Okay, this is my problem with the elite FBI agent, right? And I think this goes to your point, Anton, about like we were talking about like Clarice being bullied. People that saw that movie, <laughs> she was in a bad position, right? Because yes. that lady was a drug dealer with a baby strapped to her that was going to pull a gun on her. And you pretty much know she's coming to pull a gun on you. What are you supposed to do? Like, what would be considered reasonable in the eyes of the law within the movie? Because I don't think what she did was that unreasonable. No, that, they handle that so poorly. Like, she doesn't attempt to defend herself. She never points out, like, well, that DC cop jumped the gun. Yeah, it was it was very odd because I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, you're watching the show. You're like, oh, man, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden, she just, like, within probably five minutes of that entire scene, she just gets kicked out of the FBI. Yeah, it's the weirdest way to try to write in that she was disgraced. Like, that was it? This was the way that it happened? <laughs> Like that's that's yeah. that's what did it. They didn't even they didn't even need to show the shootout thing. They could have had her just disgraced because they're like you can't solve anything. Since, since that Latin, makes like, you, yeah. you can't way do more anything. sense. Like way yeah. more sense. You're obsessed. You're stressed. You're like drinking in the night. It's the only thing you can talk about. Like watching her spiral, I think would have been more compelling. We haven't even gotten into the main character yet, Hannibal. One of my other issues with this movie is I think a little bit of Hannibal Lecter goes a long way. I, I find him mm-hmm. much more interesting as a supporting character, not a main mm-hmm. character. His character greatly benefits from having mystique. Yes. And yes. the more I know about him, the less interesting he becomes. Because you're just like, what is this guy's deal? I feel the same way about that Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Like, I just had no interest in seeing something like that. Like His acting was great in that movie. But I want to see a Batman movie with the Joker in it, not a Joker movie. Mm, okay. You know, I, I kind of see that because I felt the same way. Like when, you, when I watched Silence of the Lambs, I was – because he wasn't in the movie. The character Hannibal wasn't in – and it was like Brian Johnson, right? Brian Cox Brian played Cox. him originally in Manhunter. And, and I remember yes. like watch, and he was – even when he, he did it in the first movie, I was like, wow. Even though it's a Hannibal franchise, he's only been in the movie for very short periods of time. And this time you get to know him. You see him in like Italy. And I think it's, I think what it is, Pat, is the fear of the unknown, right? You know his face, you know, he eats people and you know he's dangerous and that's all you need to know. And the rest is your mind working up fear of the character, right? But as you see him and get to know him, you're just like, this is a weird dude that eats brains. I don't know if they wanted us to be sympathetic for him because like at, at any point, like it never really feels like he's in danger. Even when he gets captured, I guess they were trying to make him the hero in some way, but I wasn't sure. Hmm. I have a good quote about this from Real Views. Quote, having seen Hannibal, I can understand why Jodie Foster wasn't interested. The Clary Starling of the Silence of the Lambs was a psychologically complex individual who remained squarely at the center of the storyline. Her relationship with Hannibal Lecter was endlessly fascinating, a game of mental chess between two evenly matched players who were drawn together by a perverse attraction. That Clarice is missing in action in Hannibal. The character has been emasculated and reduced to little more than a plot device. This is Lecter's movie. Clarice's role is secondary, and there's little in the way of interesting character development. Almost nothing is done with Silence's most compelling aspect, the Hannibal-Clarice relationship. These two have only a handful of scenes together, end quote. Hmm. This yeah. duopoly only works for the one movie. Like the yeah. Silence of the Lambs was lightning in a bottle, and they're never going to recapture that. Yeah. 
Yeah, the bar was set too high, and I don't, whether they intended it to be that high or not, you, I don't think you can reproduce it. I think it's the legacy has been created. You can't yeah, alter it and, from here. And you can actually even point to the source material as a really key reason of it. It did well because also the novel that they based it on was really great, like really, really great. Like it was very well written. So that story made sense. The film made sense. The actors and actresses included did a fantastic job. Director did a great job, but even for, but for Hannibal, they didn't really have much to jump off of. So you're kind of swimming blind. Roger Ebert called this quote, a carnival geek show elevated in the direction of art. It never quite gets there, but it tries with every fiber of its craft to redeem its pulp origins. And we must give it credit for the courage of its depravity. End quote. There's a reason why he was the best. Yes. Yeah, that is, that is hilarious. It's a great that is way to put it. Got him. That's basically Got what him. happened. We kind of hinted at this earlier where we were talking about like, what does this, what is this film trying to do? It avoids the, the most disgusting elements of the novel. It seems to be trying to tell some other story. I just don't know what. Like, is it a horror movie? Is it a twisted romance? Is it a revenge story? Is it a Marvel is it movie? A murder mystery? Is it an origin story? Maybe. I'm just unsure what the tone is. Anton, we were talking about this, I think, yesterday. Mm-hmm. How, like, there's, there's elements in here where, like, are they trying to make a joke? Like, is this supposed to be funny? Like, you know, um, when, um, he, when Lecter meets... Inspector Potsy and his wife at the opera. Yes. And then he overhears another another couple. Like, we should get something to eat. He's like, oh, I think I will. He just says it to himself. He's like, is... <laughs> so those weird. kinds of jokes weren't in the first film. Like, it didn't have any of that. Like, if they're just trying to build up the characters, it's a huge creep, sure, but it takes away, right, the mystique of the character. Yeah. It's like, the, you're right, because, like, who the hell says that? He's, he, he, he keeps saying okie-dokie to people. It's like, is this supposed to be funny? Yeah. I don't know. Like Wait. he becomes a, a caricature of Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Remember at the end of the movie where he's feeding the kid brains on a plane? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't really understand that. Like what? First of all, what are you doing? How did he get on the plane? No one knows. Without a hand. Without a hand. All they had to do was be like, by the way, the suspect doesn't have a hand. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty easy to stop someone, to just flag someone on a plane. Like, well, he doesn't have a hand, so... Considering what they've done with the or- the rest of the origin story too of Hannibal through like continued works, it makes no sense he would just give a random kid some brains like that because he also seems as one that does have a moral compass. So it makes no sense for the character. The ending in general, the movie just kind of ends. Like it's pretty abrupt. Yes, there's no resolution for Clarice's story at all. She's just standing by the water. That's it. He's just gone forever. Right. Feeding brains to a kid on a plane. Brains on a plane. <laughs> Brains <laughs> on a plane. But I mean, like, wouldn't it have just given us another minute to, like, tell us that, like, her name got cleared, she gets reinstated as an agent? Or even, Nothing. like, you know what? I would have taken, you know when you watch a documentary and at the end the screen goes black and gives you all the updates, like, black screen, white text? I would have even <laughs> taken that. Right? <laughs> Done. That's, I'll take it. That's oh, all you need. Cool. All right. We're good. 
Uh, second reason why this wasn't better, the excessive violence. The violence in this movie was hev- heavily criticized and deservedly so. Uh, I found it nauseating and pointless, and it mostly serves no purpose for the plot. The brain scene is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in a movie. Which one, though? Yeah, that's fair. You're talking Ray Liotta brain scene or brains I'm on talking plan? the Ray Liotta scene. Yeah, that was very unnecessary. I, I was very confused. I don't need to see that. Um, I don't need to see Inspector Potsy getting dissing, disemboweled. I don't I need to see his intestines I did. splashing on the ground. I really liked him, yeah. too. I liked his story. I liked where he was going, and then, boom, they ripped out his organs. I was like, wow, that's It was sad. very brutal, yeah. and not in the, especially when you compare it to the first film, it's like, this is a 180. Yeah, it feels- That is an excellent point, Anton. The first film is not gory. It's violent, but it's not a, it, a lot of the gore yeah. happens off screen. So, okay, I'm going to try to explain this best and people may laugh. I think it was, the gore was out of place for the story. Like, take a movie like Hostel. Gory, but you knew the story of going to an underground hostel and the way they set it up, the gore was going to be part of the movie. Whereas in Hannibal, it kind of wanted to be a psychological serial killer movie and you didn't really need the gore. I, I, I think they did that for the movie, right? Does that mm-hmm. make any sense? No, that makes sense. I agree with you. I just don't know why they did it. I think they. I, I think we, the reason they did it is they knew the shock value was going to be there. They knew people would see it just because of that. And frankly, listen, we all did, right? We did. <sighs> it just seems so unnecessary, though. If you want to consider even the first film as art, this just feels... Ex- th- this felt like an exploitation film. It's like Evil Dead. <laughs> no story, yeah. just gore. Yeah, but not even in a fun way like Evil Dead. It's true. No. <laughs> Between Mason Verger, all of the gore, like even like the the blood, like comically gushing out of that pickpockets. I was he stabbed in the groin or the The leg? The jugular, I think, is what it was, and then he just died. It wasn't the neck. No, not the um. He was like he was clutching it. It looked like his groin or his leg or his abdomen. I couldn't even tell. Not the jugular. Um. Wow. Maybe the. the, I don't know. Femoral. Femoral artery. Oh yeah, I guess it was that. That's what it was. Yeah. He bled out real quick. Yeah, he was done. He was. He, I felt also felt bad for him. Like that was a very sad death. I don't know if it was sad, but uh, I mean, okay, fair. He didn't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude. The other thing too, like Mason Verger is supposed to be this guy that like you're supposed to buy into his revenge story, right? Right. Like maybe. That, I mean, sort of. Maybe. Right. Like not really. <laughs> if he's supposed to be the villain, right? You're supposed to believe. Like I get why he's going on this whole revenge thing, but like <laughs> I hated him. Like. He's really creepy. Really? Oh, he's, the, he's my favorite thing about the movie. <laughs> he was terribly creepy. And like, frankly, he kind of deserved what happened to him. He was a pedophile. Abuse Absolutely kids. deserved it. And then he got like all hacked up. And I'm like, okay, so you're the villain? I, I, didn't, I didn't buy the story. I, no, he was, a, he was a terrible villain. But I found Gary yeah. Oldman's performance hilarious. Yes. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Commissioner Gordon was fantastic. Nobody beats the Riz. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Mustang? Before I forget... <laughs> Um, Anton and I were joking about this. The funniest line in the whole movie. I don't know if you caught this, Peter. Right after he gets done, after we see the flashback of him cutting off his own face, it just cuts back to him on the bed, and he's like, "Seemed like a good idea at the time." (laughs) I was cracking up. I was like, "Okay." So you're just spouting off nonsense. But that's but that's but that's one of my problems with it. Like that's they had to be deliberately making that funny right it's like why are you trying to make jokes in this type of a movie what kind of movie are you trying to make i think to to your point about the mystique right i think 
In Silence of the Lambs, you didn't you knew that there was gonna be some sort of like weirdness and violence around the Hannibal character, right? You knew he was gonna eat people, right? But I think in Hannibal, what they were trying to do is like people are scared of Hannibal because he eats people. And I think they were just trying to like re-deliver that at inappropriate points during the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really I, I mean yeah. It's really interesting for me also just to see the way violence is used in the film versus the way tension should be used in the film. I feel like tension is hmm. much more effective in a good horror film necessarily than violence. Violence is violence if violence is the payoff. Violence the what you see like what are the graphic, light, off-screen, it helps to do some sort of release of tension. And you can use the same thing with comedy. So when you compare that to in the first film, the first film is terrifying for different aspects because you don't know what you're going to expect. No. But it felt very uneven in Hannibal. So when you see different scenes with violence and gore, it just feels gratuitous, but nothing really building up to it. No, I know exactly what you mean. There's a, and hope, One day, hopefully, you guys can talk about this. There's a movie called It Follows. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. And in my opinion, I think it's one of the best horror movies that I've ever seen because... The entire movie, from once it opens till it ends, it only delivers a handful of scares, but it creates this uneasy feeling for an hour and a half. And it does not go away until the movie's over. And even when the movie was over, that feeling of uneasiness persisted. I, I, I Listen, well said, Anton. And uh, you provoked that thought there, and I think you're right. Gore definitely does not make something scarier. Some of the best horror movies are not gory. Halloween, not a gory movie. New Halloween's horribly gory. Yeah, I'm talking about the I'm talking about the the best well, one, the original. Yeah, okay, okay. I was gonna I was gonna say when you actually look at like horror films that like like franchises, it's usually the earlier films that aren't that gory, and then right. yep. every sequel kind of has to one up the next one. Even if you watch like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's actually very tame compared to yeah. a lot of you know what would consider like oh like uh, you know horror films nowadays it really like if yeah if you go back and watch it it's not it's, it's pretty tame stuff look i don't have a problem with violence in movies i'd like plenty of movies that are violent and i'm of the belief that if you're going to show violence on screen show it but there has to be a limit the major difference between what's necessary to tell a story and what's excessive think of a movie like saving private ryan's like that's one of the goriest movies i've ever seen yeah but Top five they were showing the brutality of warfare uncut. It, fit. it made sense. This film, Hannibal, just crosses the line. Like It, it just goes way over uh, the top. It, it's, too, it's to the point where I'm just disgusted by it. It's, it's misallocated yeah. gore. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, it, and, and for maybe, like for me, not so much like a line being crossed more than I just don't get the point. Like it just doesn't feel like it fits well into a story being told and i think when you see the violence and silence the first silence of the lambs like it it, it it's part of the brutality and like this mystique and like this like power that the hannibal electric character has that you're like still like wow this is an unstoppable force whereas in the second film it just feels like yeah he's just a weirdo and also just like really gross <laughs> what did we think of ridley scott's direction here his his technical style the way he shot it the way he edited it what do we think i do think it is a pretty film yeah. from that from that sense the location onset locations that they filmed in and the way they captured the scenes like that's you know you can't take that away from Ridley scott yeah, agreed it, it his films always look good yeah 
It's, and you can see, what's funny is I didn't really, I didn't know that they took the entire crew until you mentioned it on the podcast. And like, as I'm watching this movie, I'm flashing back of scenes of like, okay, that kind of what is what Gladiator felt like. But mm-hmm. this is when they're riding yep. the chariot, not when he's in Italy. You can tell it's the same director of photography and the same editor. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it is a very good looking film in terms of the production design. The way they use Florence here, there are mm-hmm. some ridiculously good looking shots of Florence in this movie. There's specifically yep. a shot. I don't know if you remember this. It was real, real quick. Lecter is putting Clarice's letter in that red mailbox and everything around him is this gray ancient stone. Mm-hmm. The camera's not even moving. It looks like a painting. And I give I have to give Scott credit for yep. stuff like that because he damn does he know know how to use a location and lighting. I will say though that that there were definitely scenes in the film that felt a bit made it feel a bit dated. Oh, Some yeah. of the effects. Yeah. Some of the editing. Oh yeah. It's um I actually even the scene where um our uh our favorite Gary Oldman's talking about his first meeting with uh with Hannibal and then uh did he dance with him in the flashback? That whole flashback mm. was just such weird it was such a weird like black and white like, choppy yeah. Very um, choppy, slow mo kind of. like. Were they very, trying felt, to make it yeah. dramatic or were they trying to hide the fact that Anthony Hopkins was 10 years older and fatter? That one. The latter. <laughs> Wait, wasn't, wasn't there a scene where they had him, I think, I can't remember if this is the first or the second movie. I think it was the second one where he's in the insane asylum and like how he gets out and like he's got him yep, on and then he just wakes up and he's like. <laughs> oh, no, that's the first one. That's the first, that's the first but one. He, but no, what you're thinking of is in this one when Clarice is viewing the security footage where he bites the nurse. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's clearly not him from Silence of the Lambs. He's exactly. clearly like 40 pounds heavier. Like, It's Arnold Schwarzenegger <sighs> in T3, man. Yeah, that's we'll get to Hopkins performance in a little bit. Anton, the editing techniques I wanted to call out, I completely agree with you, by the way. Some of it's really, really dated. There's a lot of that choppy-looking post-production slow motion in some random scenes, like when he slashes someone in the throat and it just it does the dramatic slow motion of them falling, just weird, very dated. And I think that entire mm-hmm. shootout in the fish market, it looks like his brother Tony filmed it. Yeah, <laughs> a good one. It, it just looks like a music yeah. video. It, it's it's completely out yeah. of place with the rest of the film. Yeah, no, agreed. And I think uh, just one of the few ways that it really takes you out of the film watching experience, right? Like I'm trying to enjoy a film or trying to watch a movie. It's things like that that are just really jarring. And then the most dated thing that I laughed out loud at, it happens twice. They do the um, the super dramatic, like THX inspired wine. <laughs> There's like a super dramatic reveal and the music's like. <laughs> yeah. when, yes, um, yes. when Clarice gets the letter, when she realizes it's from him, it does it. And then the second one, when one of the uh, Italian pig farmer thugs sees Lecter <laughs> behind him in the like Florence, uh, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't so know what to, what music to put, so they just played the opening THX scene. They're like, just yes. slow it down, oh. slow it down. Twice they do it twice. Mm. Oh, oh man, I recall the second one because I remember watching that scene and I was like, this this, this just feels weird. Yeah, I I think uh, you know you 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 put it well, Pat. It's a a few <laughs> things were just a little odd. I think you know I think about it too. Um, you know, I, we're we're about to touch a bit on the performances, but. Um, I think one aspect that really, you know, I think about it more, I think it's just even just seeing 
the different kinds of movements that Anthony Hopkins makes in the film. It seems like, I don't know, he's not the most agile, if that makes sense. Yeah, because he's old and fat. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the fact that they uh, reveal that they don't even like it, it they don't try to cover it in any way it just it, it felt yeah no I, I think i saw how long much. it's been I, since the event i was of just the first gonna film. i was just gonna ask that i was like i don't remember them ever saying like we just assume it what it's like just like two years later it has to be a while right i mean well, I don't know. I think they may do. They might. They I might think, have said. I feel it like five point, years but... is sticking out to me, and I don't know why. It could be complete misinformation. Wow, he aged terribly in five years. Then. <laughs> well, it really goes downhill when you're in hiding. <laughs> He's been eating a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Was she a great big fat person? <laughs> um, number three reason why this wasn't better. I, it's time to talk about the performances. Really, the the best or the worst thing about this movie. Yeah. Which character you select? Yeah, um, Julianne Moore. I really do think she is a great actress. Yeah, agreed. But she does not adequately fill Jodie Foster's shoes in this role. Um, I no. find her performance to be wooden and lifeless, and she almost seems to be playing an android. She has no emotion. Yeah, she like she played the role of spiraling Cl- Clarice. If that makes any sense, like that's she played the role, and she showed the emotion of what I would expect a spl- spiraling Clarice to look like. No emotion yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, I, just stoic. So, After, well, let me rephrase: recovering from spiraling theories. Okay, no, nope, that's mind. fair. No, no, I, I, I think like when you think of you know Jodie Foster's performance, you had a character that was resilient, overcame their childhood fears, right? As Pat shared, and there was a very clear intention with like how she was being portrayed but there's no drive or goal or like none of that is very clear in this film and i think that did the characters a disservice because there weren't any very strong themes to draw upon or any story to really tell like any deeper themes to tell then i feel like the the characters feel a little bit lost as well and that that's not necessarily julianne moore's fault if the character wasn't written well for this film I actually think, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think her performance is very good, but I don't think any of the other potential actresses that we mentioned earlier would have done a better job. Some of them maybe would have done a worse job. Yeah. Like imagine Hillary Swank playing that role. I, I, it, it just, it would have been bad. I mean, it's. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to. I, but she, I think it was an impossible task. Yeah. To replace Jodie Foster. And we, we already mentioned this earlier. She has no arc in this movie other than she gets in trouble. I also figured out a way to say it better. Julianne Moore's performance was that of someone that was like just a feeling and lifeless performance. Like I, I'm thinking of scenes in my head when you see someone's life like falling apart and they're just going through the motions. It's like a rapid shot behind them. That's kind of the vibe that I got from her in the movie. Mm. We haven't even talked about Anthony Hopkins yet. We, we started it off with Julianne Moore. He is hamming it up. He's having a good time making this movie. You could tell. Mm, I think I will. Are you having yourself a glass of champagne there, are you? Yeah. Quiet. You're not going to be able to keep up. Some of his dialogue to Ray Liotta was hilarious. He's like, I'm going to have to put you at the kitty table. <laughs> he's eating his bread. Because he's like, who's... Uh, who's who's this lady? That's like, Clarice wow, this is Clarice. You want? I'm, I'm going to be a congressman. <laughs> Quiet, you. <laughs> Quiet over there. Just park the car over there. Yeah, 
we we kind of touched on the fact that uh, Hopkins was fat here and um, looked a lot older, pretty trim in the first film. You, you forget, yeah, scarier, way scarier, and this is why yeah. because in the first film he's trim and fit enough that you believe he can do all that physical stuff to other people. Here he's just a fat old guy. He disembowels a man. <sighs> I don't know. He wasn't even like super old in this movie, but the fact that he just aged so much between the two films did not help. No. Yeah. No. Anton, you seem to be pretty quiet about uh, Tony Hopkins here. What's going on? Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I rag on him a little too much. I mean, he's sure he likes to take his cash grabs with whatever film, whether he's like, oh, I get to play a nose god. Let's do it. Okay. Or, uh, <laughs> or if he's like, I get to be Hannibal again. OK, you're I telling me I can phone this in and get 15 million dollars. Where do I sign? <laughs> oh, I get to play an alien where I can um, pretend I can read children's minds. OK. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone knows what do you that think? Reference. What do you think the, the conversation with his agents are like? Do you think he, how much money am I making? <laughs> is that his? Are you talking about Hearts in Atlantis? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's just a straight up bully in that film. Oh, anyway, that's not on our list. We should put it on our list because that is a great book and a terrible film. I think that was also Stephen King. So that it is uh, Stephen King. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see that, Peter? No, I just actually typed in my. Oh, it's. It's that's funny. another that's another thing that like wants to be a horror movie that but won't go there. It's it's a, a Anthony Hopkins um ends up like bullying and ends up bullying uh kids who have uh, based on his ability to like read their minds and know what they're know what they're thinking <laughs> and basically like reveals like a bully's trauma but is being the bully to the bully. So I don't know what they were trying to portray in that scene. That's weird. Yeah. yeah, Pete's like I'm not gonna watch I'm this. Coming. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I'm it's gonna not sit good. that one out. <laughs> it's not. It's not good for a lot of reasons. Not good. The book is really good though. It's a great short story yeah. by Stephen King. Oh, okay. I remember um, him in Fracture with like Ryan Gosling. He's been in a lot of questionable thriller horror movies. That one where he plays an exorcist or something. Is that a movie? Did I just make that up? <laughs> there actually, there's actually a new movie. I, I feel like there's a movie it. where he's a priest or something. I don't know. He yeah, he gives that priest vibe. It's got to be. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. Wait, the priest. But I I don't want to rag on him too much though, because I do think he is a wonderful actor yeah, when agree. he's trying. Yes, he has a pretty long, distinguished career, longer than you'd think. He's what you'd call a late bloomer, at least in the states. He had been around since the '60s, and he was a very well-respected actor in Britain. But he didn't really become a star over here until Silence of the Lambs. My favorite role that he's in besides Silence of the Lambs. Did you ever see The Edge? Yes, dude. Edge, no. It's him and Alec Baldwin and another mm -hmm. guy. Their plane crashes in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, and they get hunted by a giant brown bear. Yep. It's a late, late 90s, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Really good movie. Revenant? Wow, okay. That. Yeah, it's a better oh, than Revenant. Oh, he was in Bad Company with Chris Rock. Ooh, that's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible movie. I mean, I loved it. I did. I loved watching it, but I was like, this is, this is not He's good. in some amazing roles, though. Like, the, like, right. like, less famous roles. Like, if you've ever seen The Remains of the Day, he's amazing in that movie. Howard's or even, End. he was uh, Mask of Zorro. He's great. Oh, that's right. I forgot Excellent. about that. I did forget about that. Yeah, he's, he's in plenty of great roles. Um, shout out to um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Hopkins narrated <laughs> that movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
we like Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. He he um clearly had a very good time filming his scenes for this movie because yeah. he is hamming and cheesing it up to eleven out of ten. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> like so, I can't play even anymore, if man. even if not a award winning performance, like it's still like a good, it's still a pretty like fun performance for him. I'm sure. Oh, he has some great lines that he delivers to people. I, I can't deny him that. But not his best. I'll say uh, that. Oh, no. Not no. his best. Not his best. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so what you're saying is he didn't win an award for this. No, no. The supporting cast, Um, look, I, this is going to be probably a controversial opinion. I, I can't stand Ray Liotta. I don't understand his point. I feel like... Is it his, is it his laugh? I, I just, I don't like him. I think it's just a personality thing. Mm-hmm. I don't like him in anything. I don't. I barely fact. tolerate him in Goodfellas. Oh, see, I I like Ray Liotta. I like Ray Liotta Li- barely, lot. and I, I don't barely. like. I I was just like, I. That's why I really want to know what he get paid. Like like Ray, you're gonna be Crendel, Paul Crendel. You're gonna be me. Had to be less than Julianne Moore, so it was less than two million dollars. <laughs> so you're gonna be you're gonna be mean to Julianne Moore. You're gonna be in a movie with Anthony Hopkins, and then right when you think you're you're done and you don't need to show up, you're gonna get your brains eaten. He probably thought it sounded fun. <laughs> I don't know. And anytime he's just on screen, I'm just like, ugh. Oh, he does play like the similar character. Like he he's typecasted. He's got one. Yeah. He's got one purpose. He plays the same. Why character. did you do that, Starling? That was our heroine, Starling. <laughs> no. <laughs> His the scenes where he's hitting on her. It's just it's really weird. Really, really awkward. Yeah. It sounds like a 13 year old boy wrote some of the lines that he's delivering. <laughs> it, it's just it's very strange. <laughs> I'm big and strong. You're small and weak. Listen to me. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. The only performance that I actually thought was great, Gary Oldman steals the show. He went yeah. uncredited in this film. Didn't want a credit for it. Thank God. That's funny. I had no idea. Mason Fair. Uh, Peter, I have a challenge for all of us. Okay. We're going to do a watch along, okay. and we're going to take a drink every time he says, Cordell? Cordell. Oh my god, I'm, I might be able to walk. Let's as long as we do yeah, it on we Friday. Wouldn't, we wouldn't make it an hour. In. Cordell. He says Cordell. I'd I'd say mm, thirty to forty times. What do you think? Good estimate. Yeah. It's like uh, one of those carnival games. Guess how many beans are in the jar? <laughs> <laughs> There's not really a lot of other supporting roles for this film to rely on, though, right? Like we Giancarlo no. Giannini. He's probably the closest to like a complete character. But he doesn't have a lot to do. You just know from the start. You're like, well, this guy's not making yep. it no, out yeah. of this movie alive. Like, this guy's, something bad's going to happen to him. See, that's one of the other issues I have with this movie storytelling, which I should have brought up earlier. A big chunk of this movie is about an Italian detective trying to claim reward money for Lecter yes. because his wife has expensive tastes yes. and he wants opera tickets. Yes, that's, that's, that's the entire basis of, of him deciding to go pursue these people. Maybe that's the lesson that I didn't take away from this film. It's just like, say no to your wife's expensive taste. Maybe that's the real lesson. So you have, no, else idea, you're gonna... you have no idea what I had to do to get these tickets. Or else you're going to get disemboweled <laughs> at any, move, any moment. He didn't even have to go that far. How stupid was his character? He actively Very. chooses to remain involved. He could have walked yeah. away with at least 100 grand, it's right? Totally he, fine. I completely forgot about this. When he goes to pick up that payment at the bank, the banker makes it clear to him that he no longer needs to be involved. And he's like, no, 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 I want to. Yeah. It's like, why? It's like the upside is you walk away with a hundred grand. The downside is you might get murdered by a serial killer. Yeah. Pick your poison. 
I'm going to go murder for a million, Alex. And he's like, no, I, I will roll the dice here. <laughs> do, do, you, do either of you guys watch uh, Breaking Bad? Do we watch Breaking Bad? Or have you, have you watched oh, Breaking yeah, Bad? I have indeed watched yeah. Breaking Bad. There was a, that scene where uh, Clarice is getting this, the, the smell samples. And then, if you, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Hector, our, our, very f- our favorite mute Hector, is the, yes. is the lead guy doing the the smell yes. analysis i always call people out like anytime i see like tuco salamaca like it's, it's that's yes yes you're right <laughs> yes yeah. oh that's a good catch anton i knew i knew that guy from somewhere good shout out man yeah it's it's really weird i do it with like i always see these guys i'm like i'll see walter white somewhere like one time i watched this movie where a brian cranston was this guy that left his family and like lived in the attic and over the garage it was very odd but like i couldn't what? <laughs> so weird but i couldn't say no to it and every time i would see him i'm like wow he used to cook meth <laughs> life just like kind of fell apart <laughs> i like how pete just includes it was a bad movie but i couldn't say no to it yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i have movies like that which oh. we all do we all do it's like guilty yeah. pleasure movies. exactly <laughs> like, yeah it's just like you shouldn't watch this it's awful i'm like i'm gonna do it now you know that right? i'm sure hannibal is someone's guilty pleasure movie definitely but you don't want to be yeah, you don't sure. ever want to be caught dead saying that. I I mean I've never heard it. I'll just say that. <laughs> Anton, you brought up my favorite scene in the movie, which is where she's getting those like smell experts to <laughs> sniff the letter. I just I don't know why I like that scene, but I do. Yeah. They're all like guessing what it is and they all they all like figure out and concur that it's like what is it, like whale oil? Yeah. Amber grease. Yeah. Yeah, they're like they're like, sadly we can't get it here. It's like, you what? have to go to France. <laughs> um, I like that scene enough that I actually did look this up. There are people that like do that kind of consulting work for perfume houses. This is a real job. What? But like, yes. it's not something that they'll tell you at career day in school. No. It's... Yeah, Pete, that is, that is a real job. A lot of them work for like perfume companies because they can pinpoint like every little, kind of like a wine, wine taster, like a, sommelier, like a, profe- right? like a professional, yeah. like a wine expert. That's wild. Same deal. Yeah. I don't have the talent. I'm just like, it smells good or it smells bad. And that's about as far as it goes. Interesting. Wow. Closing out our reason about the performances, because I know we're coming up on time here. This film hinges entirely on Hopkins and Julianne Moore. And they don't have one tenth of the chemistry that Hopkins and Foster had in the first film. And that's like ultimately like where this film is flawed, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. Enough said on that. It's a no chemistry that can really drive that interest in in their interactions in the same way that was in Silence of the Lambs. Bingo. Yeah. One final thing before we wrap this up, since this is a film scored by Hans Zimmer, what did we think of the music? Great. Great. I think it was one of the better parts. I can't. I don't fault it. I don't fault the yeah. music in the film. I wasn't sure when the opera ended and when Zimmer's score took over. <laughs> that's fair wow in some scenes yes which is which is i that's think true. good exactly like yeah i guess anton that's the best way to say it. i say great like i'm this master composer and love it i think it was more like i didn't notice anything bad and i felt like the music was appropriate for the scenes if we have to judge them independently yeah. of each other i will say this some of the scenes with florence with potsy on the bridge very very similar to what zimmer would later use on sherlock holmes sean did so, he say for any of you eagle-eared listeners out there peep that out let's wrap this up uh did we like it pete you're the guest would you like to go first yeah all right did i like the movie let's see i think it was entertaining i think i okay let me rephrase this 
I enjoyed watching the movie, and I say this from a point of someone that watches really bad horror movies. Like, I've watched a movie that has like a 3.8 on a Netflix, uh, I'm sorry, a 3.8 on an IMDb, and it was a horror movie, and I'll watch it. So let's lay the foundation there that the grade I'm going to give it and the way I talk about it is going to be relative to that because most people are going to hate this. And I'm even going to say this. I, I'm all ears. I enjoyed the story. I did. Merson Verger, I think, was kind of gross. I would have been okay if he kind of died. I was okay with like the D minus storytelling of Julianne Moore and Anthony Hopkins. The brain thing was kind of weird, but you know what? I watched it. I thought it was a funny movie. I enjoyed it, and it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. So if you're asking for my grade, I think I'm going to say a D plus. Okay. So pretty bad. Bad. Uh, listen, I'm not saying it's not a bad movie, right? I'm saying it's awful, but it's not so the worst you're... thing I've ever seen. So you're going to watch it again? I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I think D plus is That's, generous. Yeah, yeah. D, D plus is very generous <laughs> in my yeah. opinion. And for me, you sure you don't want to lower that? Also, Mason like Verger, to... he he did die. No, I know, yes. I know, but th- there's just no point. Like like his like to me that I I get I get it I get how they killed him, but like come on, really? <laughs> That's e- eaten by his own pigs. <laughs> I, I understand it. I'm I'm gonna stand. By, ah, you know what? D D then. Thank you. D. I'll meet you you at a D. I think that's fair. I don't think it was the worst thing I've ever seen, but I definitely wouldn't watch it again. Like I'm like a once every 20 years kind of guy. That's horrible. I know. I know. (laughs) That's that's about like I've until we started discussing this, (laughs) then I watched it again. And I was like, wow, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And I was like, it it was terrible. But you know what? Like I watched the entire movie and I paid attention to it. So I think that stands for something. You're okay. talking yourself into a D minus. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm, yeah, I'm moving closer and closer to an F. I was gonna say we just asked if you'd watch it again. You're like, hey, that's 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 a lot. Once well, a generation, yeah, you'll watch exactly it. Exactly right. <laughs> Once a turn. Um, this is not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's close. You said the same thing I said. Yeah, but I'm I'm just let me let me let me okay, go. Fair, in fair, here. fair, fair. I jumped too early. My I apologies. detest this movie just like I detest the source material. I don't find it entertaining at all. It's overly theatrical, it's campy, it's excessively violent, it's gross, it's bizarre for the sake of being bizarre. I find it revolting. And worst of all, I think it betrays its predecessor. Mm. Every time I see it, I come away thinking I've wasted my time. I wish I could unsee it. Considering all of that, plus the suspiciously large budget, this is one of the most disgustingly awful sequels ever made. Other than Hopkins' huge salary, I think they just burned the money. Hands down, one of my all-time least favorite movies that I somehow got fooled into being excited to see in the beginning. Source material aside, I don't even think it does anything good as a movie. There's really nothing about it that I enjoy. I almost want to say it's worth watching just for Gary Oldman's performance, but I can't even go that far because he's not in the movie very much, so you can just solve that with YouTube. Um, I think this is by far Ridley Scott's worst movie. It's a failure at every level. It's complete trash. I give it an F. All right. Damn. Very Very definitive there, Pat. Ah, oh, this movie is terrible. Damn, um, I'm being generous. I, I usually, I usually am a bit more optimistic when it comes to a lot of the films that we that we talk about on this podcast. And there's no doubt about it. This is not a good film. This is a bad film. Damn. And I'm just really not trying to mince words. It is so bad. I think that even when you think of like the source material being so terrible and the journey that had into pushing away some of the 
people that made the original Silence of the Lambs um, so great. Like that just speaks volumes to how bad um, everything that touches this film is. I'm going to say this next part because I actually want, I'm going to challenge Pat to cut cut this out of the podcast so listeners you'll know if this made it to the to the um to the final product okay the original source material is so bad and so grotesque that it really showed me that it was such a cash grab and trying to build out parts of the story that were just to be sensational and grab attention with no true understanding of what made the original novel just so compelling and what made the character so great. You know how they took out uh, Mason Verger's character in the, in the original novel? Mm, yeah, it, it was a, it was a form of, perverted justice with his sister shoving a cattle prod um, up it, <laughs> up his butt um, to make sure that she could get uh, his sperm because she wanted to be able to uh, use that with her partner um, to be able to conceive a child. And then the way that she ends up killing him is then shoving his pet morail into his mouth. So if that's a source material that they're working with, I'm sure Ridley Scott was like, well, just feed them to pigs. There's no way we're making that into a film. Then why didn't you feed this film to a pig? So tell us what you really thought guys. Anton, there's no way I'm cutting this out. This is wonderful. (laughs) Very well said argument. I'm so delighted that you hate this movie as much as I do. (laughs) It is a terrible film. I am shocked. Ridley Scott put this out. And heck, even Gary Oldman didn't want to put his name to his appearance in this film. At the end of the day, it is just a bad film. And I never want to watch this again. This is an absolute F. Daniel. Do you agree with me? This is Ridley Scott's worst film. Hands down. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It is bad. Oh, Pete, you, you think so, Definitely too. his worst movie, for sure. Damn. And now yeah. I feel like pressured, right? Do I go with the crowd? No, I'm standing by D. By that I can't standard, follow you for D. I, I, right. I can understand why you found parts of this entertaining. Because parts of this are just like... Are like outrageously funny but they're not supposed to be i don't know <laughs> it's like, so, like oh. feeding brains to a kid on a plane like that's hilarious that's something that only can happen in like the late 90s yeah. 2000s era <laughs> he has done some stinkers too ridley scott he really has yes. prometheus is a stinker oh. uh, that robin hood version with with um russell crowe is a stinker wait you didn't like prometheus terrible movie. i enjoyed it man i enjoyed it oh my dude God. you can be on the episode if I'm, you want and try to defend it because i am yeah gonna, I'm oh, gonna no 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 I, I was so i was so disappointed <laughs> by prometheus i would not oh, defend the movie let's be very clear i enjoyed watching it but it was not the best there wasn't even a xenomorph in the film mm, no yeah. it looks like lv426 but it's not that planet Mm-mm. it looks like the derelict ship but it's not that derelict ship <laughs> there's eggs in it but not, not those one. eggs different nope, eggs. No, it's that entire story is a pyramid scheme <laughs> <laughs> snake oil yeah, you can be on that episode if you want we're gonna torch that movie uh, the, you know what? the sequel film two is really bad oh alien covenant trash yeah he's doing ridley scott is so uneven gladiator is maybe my favorite movie like i love that movie. well hopefully soon to be gladiator 2 which he's directing i'm gonna be amazed if that isn't like a d movie i i agree do you like the last duel did either of you see that i really liked it i did i saw it i thought it was i thought that movie was pretty underrated I don't know right? why I didn't get I don't know why I didn't get yes. more critical reception. Yes. I enjoyed that. We're going to cover that movie. Yes. I I, I enjoyed I it. Actually, that. that was a very good movie. I do I yeah. do think part of it is 
when it was released in terms of like it was kind of close to like pandemic time so maybe it didn't get enough marketing and push as it should have and then the other side reason yeah and then i think the other side of it honestly is the politics when you consider the story and also the political tone of the time yeah yeah i can agree with that and wasn't it didn't it it went direct to streaming right it did get a theater release and it bombed. Oh, okay. Because I remember, like, I remember it popped up on like HBO one day, and I was like, "Holy crap, yeah. this movie's yep. just okay." That's why it was in theaters for two weeks, maybe. Oof. Yeah, they they pulled it, but he he really. This is why I all, will always respect Ridley Scott, though, because as for all the stinkers that he's done, we do love. Like he's done some legendary movies, like even a more recent one that he did after this, The Martian. That's a great movie. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Like he he's. I respect Ridley Scott. I do. I read the book before I saw the movie. Unbelievable. Great book. Great great adaptation of that book. They they did the fans right. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Well, I don't think we have anything else to say about Hannibal. Pete, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for returning to the podcast. Oh, I'm always glad to be here. Invite me whenever I'm here. Just try not to make the movie too bad. Actually, my my bar's pretty (laughs) really low. It's really low. We're going to have you on for a, a Star Trek film. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, I believe that is your next appearance. But I'll, again, I'll send you some more options, and um, we'll um, always down. We'll get that. Love it. We'll get that set up. Yeah, send me the list. I'm ready. Can do. Cool. Anton, anything to add before we uh, depart? Uh, no, just um, you know, listeners, thank you again for all your support. Thank you for joining us on this journey for season two. And hey, we only have a couple more episodes, I think, before we wrap up season two. That's right. <gasps> Two more episodes to record. Dun, dun, and I don't uh, think we're spoiling anything. We've said this before. We are going to end our season with Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Oh, man. Let's go. That'll be a doozy. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I can't wait for that episode to come out. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to talking about any Star Wars yeah. movie. It's <laughs> another very interesting path that's taken. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that's it for this week's edition of Why Wasn't It Better? We will see you next week. Uh, which is probably Ocean's 12 or No Time to Die. We're not sure yet, but um, you'll know it when you hear it. Take I care. I think I will. <laughs> Was she a great big fat person? Did Pat leave again? <laughs>